Well, good morning. It's a beautiful day again, and we've been given come together and worship and hear the word of the Lord. I guess I will be sharing the opening devotional, and then after that, we'll have Brother Trevor come up and share the main message. But before we begin, let's uh, all pause for a word of prayer. Father, we bow before you. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Lord, thank you for your work in our hearts. And we pray, Father, that we will allow the work of your Holy Spirit to continue to draw us, to change us, to mold us more into your character, into your image. Father, so that as the world looks at us, that they see us about your work and that you will be glorified through our lives. Lord, we just thank you for this gathering. Just pray, Father, that your word may go forth and that it may bless the ears and it may also challenge us, Father, to a greater um, devotion, Father, to you. And help us, Father, Lord Jesus, to just take inventory of our life, of our hearts, to see where we're at with you and with one another. Lord, and to just continue to walk in thy ways, because you know you have a plan and a purpose for each of us. Lord, and we want to carry this out the best of our ability. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the devotional, I want to speak a little on value. Just uh, what we feel our values are and just things that in our lives we see as value and uh, we're taking notice of, you could say. People put value on a lot of strange things. Can you imagine paying $21,000 for somebody's old toothbrush? That's what Napoleon's toothbrush sold for. Hitler's car was sold for more than $150,000. And when Sotheby's auctioned a set of JFK's golf clubs, they sold for $772,000. The thing is, when you think about these items, if the strange thing is that I think about is if you would find them somewhere and you would not know who they belong to, they would simply be just another item that you pass by. And you wouldn't give it a second glance. But just because a famous person owned them, somehow they increase tremendously in value. So it's sometimes rather silly how we place value on some things. As I was thinking about this, if you take, for instance, also the purple, purple cloth that royalty wore in Roman times, you ask yourself, why was it valuable? <clears throat> what caused it to have such value? After all, it probably used the same wool to make those articles of clothing that is used to make everybody else's clothing. But it seems like the value came from the color. 
And as you probably know, that only royalty were allowed to wear purple. But the thing is, they collected sea snails and boiled them in hot water, which in turn turned the water a rich purple, which they then used the dye to, uh, to dye the cloth with. So what made the clothing valuable was a lowly sea snail. That's what caused this purple cloth to be sold at higher prices than just ordinary cloth. But again, as you think about it, the lowly sea snail made this thing, made this cloth valuable. And if you really think deeply about it, it's rather uh, strange that this is the case. What are values? Values are those things that make up for you what is right and what is wrong, what matters and what doesn't matter. Everybody has values. The problem is that not everybody agrees on what those values should be, much less where they come from. Lee Strobel, if you know the book, A Case for Christ, tells a story about a panel that convened in a conference room in order to find out what the simple value of integrity was all about. First, they invited the philosopher to come into the room. Tell us, they said, what is integrity? The philosopher thought for a minute and then said, integrity is what you're like when nobody's around. The panel thanked him and agreed. That's a pretty good answer. Then they invited a businessman inside and asked for his definition. In my world, he said, integrity means a person is as good as his word. They thought that was pretty, a pretty good answer, too. Then they invited an attorney to enter. What is integrity, they asked him. The, the attorney's eyes cautiously scanned the room. He crept over to the door, opened it, looked outside to make sure nobody was listening, and then bolted it shut again. He closed the windows, pulled down the shades, and then turned back to the panel. Tell me, he whispered, what do you want it to mean? So real value, of course, is not made up on the spot. An authentic, true value is something that is beyond us. It depends on a truth and a reality that is bigger than we are. And where do we get these values from? We obviously get them from God's word, from the truth of what Christ has taught us. Jesus spent so much time teaching and laying out God's values for life's application. We know this in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew 7, 24, verse 24 to 27, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So, How do values tie into your purpose for living? The answer is that your values are the moral compass by which you navigate through life. Your life values daily set your course 
and they affect you and those around you. If values are timeless, eternal truths by which you guide your life, then the only way to fulfill your life purpose is to discover those foundational values in God's word. And if you don't know your foundational values, then you won't have a basis by which to make decisions that will determine the very direction and destiny of your life. And I believe it says it clearly in the Bible, in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded person is unsure of what he stands for, blown this way and that by whatever comes along and without an anchor. This person never follows a purpose in life because he never establishes values to guide him along the pathway of life. Another short story says, Robertson McQuilkin would understand. As a young man, he dreamed of becoming president of Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. He adored his father, who held this position, and wanted one day to take his place. McQuilkin's dream came true, and he served as president of the college with distinction for many years. Then just as he was about to enter the most productive years of his leadership, his wife began to show the first signs of Alzheimer's disease. In a matter of months, she not only lost the memory of much of their life together, but she was unable even to recognize Robertson as her husband. Then McQuilkin made a values-based, purposeful decision. He resigned the presidency of Columbia so he could give full-time care to his wife. Without hesitation, he walked away from his lifelong dream as an act of love for his wife. Many told him there was no point in resigning. Anyone can take care of your wife, they told him. But not anybody can be president of Columbia Bible College. After all, they would often add, she didn't even recognize him when he came into the room. McQuilkin tried to explain his decision to his supporters and critics. He admitted that his wife didn't know who he was. But that wasn't the point, he told them. The really important thing was that he still knew who she was and that he saw in her the same lovely woman he had married those many years ago. Then with finality and conviction, he laid out the simple truth of a value upon which he based his life. And I promise to be there for her until death do us part. So you can obviously see in this man's life and he valued his vows that he made. They were very real to him. He was not just, he didn't, he wasn't out for his own good, in his own, uh, you could say, name. Where do values come from? Values are choices shaped by many competing forces. Anyway, it seems like in our life. One of the strongest of these forces is undoubtedly the media. According to a study reported in the New York Times, the average person in America spends about 1,100 hours a year watching television or other movies, an additional 500 hours watching uh, YouTube or whatever it is, and 300 hours of listening to music. The media's influence on human life cannot be underestimated. While television, internet, and you could say social media, may not always tell you what to think, 
it certainly tells you what to think about. Today, we are constantly bombarded with messages on billboards as you're driving down the roads, advertisements on our smartphones, and wherever else we have them. It is estimated that at least 80% of what the average citizen continues to learn about the world after leaving school comes filtered through observations of the journalist. And those observations are not value-free. One person observed this uh, in the media. I said, I observed the media's impact on values on Saturday, September 6, 1977 while I was doing my morning run. The gym where I work out had a bank of televisions and each treadmill had a place for headphones so you can hook up and watch while you run. On this particular morning, I watched the entire CNN headline news program from 8.30 to 9 a.m. First 15 minutes were spent on Princess Diana. There was a story on her funeral Then came a story on how her boys would handle her death and the media scrutiny of their lives. Then there was a report on the song that Alton John had composed for her funeral. Then there was footage of the bells pealing throughout England for her death. Then came another story on the eulogies that had been given at her burial. Then came two quick stories on other events, Hurricane Erica and Space Station Mirror. Then it went back to Alton John singing his new version of Candle in the Wind. CNN then went right into its business news, sports segment, and entertainment coverage. Now, under normal circumstances, you would think that this was just a slow news day or that the death of Princess Diana was such a monumental event that it deserved to dominate nation's leading cable newscast. But I happened to know something else that happened the night before, something that was never mentioned, not even once. Another woman died, a small, old Albanian woman named Agnes, better known to the world as Mother Teresa. The death of this Nobel Prize winner, godly, humble woman, was almost completely ignored. So I'm not trying to be judgmental here with this, but you just sometimes wonder when you're faced with this, that which life story would you rather hand your children to read? The life story of Mother Teresa or the life story of Princess Diana? Who's, which one of those lives would you wish your children would model? And again, Both of these women lived their lives. But we all know how media works and what, I guess, they give the people what they want to see or hear. And there are other ways that the media can influence our values. One of the most powerful is through repetition. By putting certain choices or lifestyles before us over and over again until we become desensitized and accept those choices and lifestyles as normal. And if these choices are made by our favorite characters in a novel, actors in a movie, sports uh, players, then we automatically 
associate positive feelings or that behavior or choice. One person said it this way, one of the most successful, he said, um, one of the most successful filmmakers in history said, for better or worse, films and television tell us the way we conduct our lives, what is right and wrong. So the value of personal pleasure can be seen virtually everywhere nowadays. Whatever lifestyle is displayed, the conclusion is the same. If it makes them happy and it doesn't seem to hurt anyone else, then it's okay. The value of personal pleasure says that what I want, what makes me happy, and what seems to give me the most satisfaction at this point in time is what is right and true and good. But pleasing ourselves is not what God intended to be our reason to live. Because operating your life on the value of pleasure alone is not investing in something that lasts. It's a superficial life. In fact, it's not really a life at all. That's why the Bible says that by focusing on the pleasures of living, the life is choked out of them, and in the end they produce nothing. We're all very familiar with this one verse, Luke 8, 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The Apostle Paul speaks in Romans 6, 20. He says, for when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So by paraphrasing this, it says, as long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? Probably a dead end. And I remember this very well from my life. There is a fundamental life choice to be made when it comes to values, Christ or the world. The choice you make on this is important. The stakes are high. And it's so easy to just go along with the flow. I think we are all familiar with the infamous lemmings, which are small animals that live in northern Norway. Whenever lemmings go in search of food, the majority of them die. There are so many that when they get near a cliff, some are, of them are pushed off the edge. And then, when some of them go over the edge, the rest feel they should follow. Soon, an enormous herd of lemmings runs off the edge of the cliff to their deaths. It's a tragic scene. Instead of turning away from the crowd toward life, they follow the crowd and die.
So specific, a little bit more specific about values, what values mean in your life. To ask these questions here. If you think about where you're at today and what values you hold dear. I have a few questions said here. At the end of my life, what do I want to look back and say I've accomplished? If I were to die tomorrow, what would I want people to remember as my most important achievement or attribute? Am I investing myself in those things that matter most to me? Is there any person or cause I would be willing to die for? What is vitally important to me? What has some importance and what is a complete complete waste to me? And the last one, if I were to write a letter to my children about what is most important in my life, what would I tell them? I felt that's quite a good one. If I were to write a letter to my children about what was most important in my life, what would I tell them? And you have to be, as you look at these and you answer them, you have to be very specific about what it really matters in your life. To take a good, hard look at your answers to these questions and ask yourself, is that how I'm actually living? If those are my values, is that what my calendar looks like? Is that reflected on what I spend my money on? Would the people around me say that that's what truly my values are? Is that how I spent my last week, last month, last year? Whenever there is a separation between values and practice, things break down. The way we want things to be aren't, and the way we hope things will go don't. In ancient China, the people desired security from the barbaric invading hordes to the north. To get this protection, they built what is now known as the Great Wall of China. And this wall was and still is truly great. It's 30 feet high, 18 feet thick, and more than 1,500 miles long. The goal of the Chinese was to build an absolutely impenetrable defense, too high to climb over, too thick to break down, and too long to go around. But during the first 100 years of the wall's existence, China was successfully invaded, not once, not twice, but three times, and it wasn't the wall's fault. During all three invasions, the barbaric hordes never climbed over the wall, broke it down, or went around it. They simply bribed a gatekeeper and then marched right in through an open door. The purpose of the wall failed because of a breakdown in values. So I was thinking of what Christ values. And in Psalms 51, 6, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me known, make me to know wisdom. Truth in the inward parts. And in Micah 6, 8, he had showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. 
it seems a lot of times if you look at Jesus' values, they were quite different than his disciples. It seems he focused a lot on truth in the inward parts. You can see that with the story of the widow cast in her might. You can see it with the publican who was beating his breast in penitent prayer in the temple. And also in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So if you look at the things you value, and maybe it's your relationship with Christ, relationships with others, your family, your marriage, your commitment, your community. Do my values, do have I put any value on these things? Does it come forth in our everyday life? If there is no fruit coming forth to support such claims, then we cannot make those claims. The goal is to evaluate your life in order to bring it into harmony with your values. Because in closing, we are a peculiar people. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I know one thing, the world's values are directly opposed to what Christ wants from us. I know that already. And we cannot think that we will not be affected by these things if we continuously just take it in and uh, are continuously feeding on what the world is uh, telling us to think about. And it just, it won't work that way. It has, our, our choices have consequences, even if we don't see it. So it's just a challenge for us to analyze our values, what we feel is really important in our lives, to just pray over them and to ask serious questions of what it actually looks like in our lives. So I want to give the time over to Brother Trevor. Thank you.